Konnichiwa. And howdy, y'all. I'm Leslie. And I'm Laurie. And welcome to Sumo Kaboom, where we talk about all things sumo. Oh, that, my God. That's right. And today we are so excited. We are so excited because we have such a cool interview for you with Kanishki, we had the best time. It was a dream. It was a dream come true. It, it really was. So was. Cool. We have the king of all interviews for you today. He's going to be talking about his own career in sumo wrestling, his background, his coach. And then he takes us right into the mind of a sumo wrestler right now, right before a basho begins. Just what that feels like. We're going to learn about dating a sumo wrestler. I mean, we asked all kinds of weird questions. And then we we, we still were like, oh my God, we have so many more things to ask him. And he was so forthcoming and sweet and awesome and honest. It's a real treat. Yes. But before we do, bingo! Bingo! Let's talk about bingo. By the way, we have a basho coming up. About this time, we start talking about bingo. So everyone, this is a super exciting bingo for us because not only do we have Makauchi Kachikoshi, this time, bingo. Good lord, this is This music. is a lot of Japanese words. Yeah. We're doing two games of bingo yeah, is what we're just, trying to say. Yeah, we're just, we're doing Makauchi and Jirio bingo. Yeah. Good lord. For the first time, we've got two bingo games going on simultaneously. Hooray! Yes. And here's the coolest part about it. Not only does the top division get my jam, guess what else they get? I know, so I can't say. We have had the sweetest offer for a top prize from Hakioi Sumo News and Stats, and you can find him on Twitter. Go give him a follow, Hakioi underscore sumo. He has offered for the winner of the Makauchi to receive one of his vintage Akibono Tagatas. So he is offering that up in addition to the jam. But wait, but there's wait, more. There's more. <laughs> Guess what you get when you win Jirio? You get a Shodai autograph. Your walls could become such cool sumo shrine walls at the end of this bingo tournament. And you could be sitting there eating your toasted jam, looking at the Tagatas on your wall. Yeah, or autographs. So we're going to post some of those pictures on our our social media. But if you've played before, you will get an email. It will give you a link to this tournament's bingo cards. It'll also be on our social media. Our website. Our website. Always go to www.sumokaboom.com and you can find all the information. It's ridiculous. It's full of information. Yeah, so play along with us. And as always, this is in conjunction with Tachi Eye Blog. So thanks again to Tachi Eye Blog for spreading the word. Get your cards. It's going to be a good, good time. I see this bingo game continuing to grow and the prize is just getting better and better as it'll we be go. It'll be like tiaras. It'll be like real <laughs> ruby tiaras. Like you you have the bingo sash that you wear that says, yeah. I was a bingo winner. A special banquet for all bingo winners. That's and right. Like a, we dream big, but we're st- it started at jam. It's now going to Tagatas and Autographs. Who knows what is next? That so, is singing with BTS. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? All right. So let's go to Newsflash. So with all this joyful stuff we've been talking about, 
the news for this last week is heartbreaking. And um, I think we've all been devastated. If for some reason you do not know what's happened in the sumo world, one of the wrestlers passed away on April 28th. And this was a wrestler who in the last tournament had a devastating injury when he fell during one of his matches. And unfortunately, he passed away of a pulmonary embolism. It so often happens. What did you say? Like 25% of people who have um, who are paralyzed mm-hmm. and are on their back for a long time. Up to, yeah. Up to, sometimes when they start moving, blood clots get dislodged. And so we had heard that he was doing well and there had been some movement that was returning to his body and everybody was just like, finally. And then that very same day, we got word that it was a blood clot in the end that took his life, which is just so tragic. But out of all of that, this community has come together in the most beautiful way, organized by Graham Densham. You can follow him on Sumo Injuries on Twitter, also Takagaijin on Twitter. He has posted a GoFundMe, and you can donate to Hibikiryu's family. And you can also search on GoFundMe in the memory of Hibikiryu from Sumo Fans Worldwide. And it's organized again by Graham Densham. You know, we've all been feeling so just heartbroken about this. It's a nice gesture. And the guarantee that it's going to go to his family means all the more. So thank you. This whole community came together in the most beautiful way. On that very same note, on May 7th, there's going to be a first aid course given to all ringside doctors, referees, security guards, and others. Basically, they're trying to address the issues and the problems that happened in that moment and how they can tighten up security, tighten up protocols, and get wrestlers better attention faster. I'm looking forward to that. It will be the JSA's decision to implement more rules. So we hope that the JSA is turning a corner and will put some immediate attention going into this next boss show, making sure everybody's well taken care of. Every protocol is double checked. Everyone is completely in the know. Anyway, there's lots of things to think about with all this news, but we hope that with enough pressure moving forward, us fans will feel more comforted that the JSA is going to take better care of the wrestlers that we love. All right, let's get into Konishki. Yeah. He was born in Hawaii in 1963. He began his sumo career at the age of 18, and he flew over to Japan. He was recruited at the time by fellow Hawaiian sumo wrestler Takamiyama. He refers to him in our interview as Jesse. And he joined the Takasago stable knowing nothing about sumo. That was 1982. And with the spirit of a champion and the confidence that he could rise to the top, he went. And he found himself indeed blessed with the ability to really do great sumo. He had a tough coach and a mentor who believed in him a determination to get to the top as fast as he could. And at the time, he was given the Shikona of Konishiki by his coach, and he did indeed rise. A lot happened between 1982 and when he retired in 1997. Three Makauchi Yusho wins, two Jurio wins, one Jonidan, one Jonokuchi. At six foot and a half and much larger in weight than anyone else, he dominated. He was a big boy of sumo. He was. He beat famed Yokozuna's Chionofuji along the way, and Yokozuna Takano Sato. He had four outstanding performance prizes, five fighting spirit prizes, and one technique prize. He was the very first foreign-born wrestler to become an Ozeki. Many of you probably know that, but I'm hoping that we maybe have some new listeners Mm -hmm. who get introduced to this incredible guy. There's so much more to this man besides his impressive record, though. He's a kind, sweet guy with a big, fierce spirit. He's a DJ, a chef, 
a business entrepreneur, a TV personality. He's known as Koni-chan. And there are so many layers to this awesome man. And I would not be surprised to find out like if he's like a lion tamer as well. Mm -hmm. Like he can do anything. He does so many things. He's never really left behind the world of sumo though, or his friends. He spoke so honestly about his time in sumo. And we will never forget this interview with Konishiki. And this is where our interview starts. When you first came into sumo and you were in the Takasago stable and you had been brought in by Takamiyama, mm -hmm. you first started your sumo life. Like, what is that experience like? And for you, do you feel like your experience was different just because you kind of had like a presence of somebody that could show mm -hmm. you this is the way it goes? Or did you get the same sort of treatment as everybody else who was a newbie in the stable? There's no difference. You get the same um you get the same treatment. You start from the bottom. You become the dirt bag of the stable. Just having Jesse there was help, uh, helpful. But Jesse wasn't living in the stable. He already was uh, older. He had a family. He lived away from the stable. Mm. But the process doesn't change no matter what. I just was glad to have somebody to speak pidgin English to, you know. He was such a guidance in everything I did. And uh, you, you are like dirt bag. You're the last to sleep. You're the first to get up. You clean up. You cook. You run errands. I would explain my daily. We'd start like four o'clock in the morning. I'll get up. We we set up the practice area. We do our training. Then about like five thirty, six o'clock, the the next rank comes in. When they when all the ranks on the bottom come in, up to Makusta comes in. Like by seven o'clock, they're all in there already. Yeah. So we slip out and we go upstairs. We start doing all the cleaning. We put away the thongs. And then after that, we start cooking. When they're finished practicing, they shower and they eat. And then when they finish eating, we, we finally go clean the stable. We shower and then we eat. And then we, we wash the dishes and all of that stuff. And then right after that, we have to go and wash clothes. We got to go to the laundry, take all our veterans' clothes and wash their clothes and be back by 4 o'clock to clean up again after they take their rest. And then six o'clock is dinner again. So right after we clean up and set up their futongs for sleep at night and grab whatever they need, magazines, drinks, and whatever they ask for, we always have to set up their futongs a certain way. And then we go back into um, cooking and then the same process for night because there's only two meals a day. And then after that is done, we do all the cleanup and what's so on. And then we go back and finish up our laundry. We come back and make sure we have to lights go off at 10 o'clock every day, no matter what. Mm. Lights, phones, TV, nothing's 10 o'clock, lights off. And then we got to get everything done right before that. So we come back with the practice towels or the hand wraps, everything all washed. We have it all set up by the thongs. This is every day. So that's kind of what a young man's day is. No such thing as free time in Sumo. But Not that's the young. motivation okay. to level up. And that's what made me who I am. I ain't wiping all these guys' asses all my life. Frick that. Uh, and there's the only way, the only way you can get out is actually win. It's similar, mm -hmm. very simple. You either win, you move up, or you lose and stay down and keep up scrubbing people's backs, you know, and that's that's what it is. You either win or you lose. And then the hardest thing about it that people don't understand is out of my time, we had about 800 sumo wrestlers, sumo, sumo tories at the time, professional. But within his professional ranks, only 60 can make it. Wow. Everybody's not getting paid. That's amazing. But their lives are taken care of by the stable. So you live free, you eat free, they dress you and everything. Insurance, everything, is, you got it. But you're not getting paid. Mm. So they don't have a choice. Even though you had a free time, you don't have money anyway. 
that's intense, but that would motivate me to be like, okay, I want to win because I'm tired of cleaning up after this guy. Um, Exactly. Exactly. Remember about your Oyakata, Takasaga Oyakata, the original one, because I know you had the Asashio, who yeah. was your original, and then you transferred in the middle of your Ozeki reign, then you switched to a different coach. And I was wondering... Yeah, because my coach passed. He passed, right. that's right. I remember reading about that, and I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about like the difference in coaching styles, and uh, also did that affect you being like at, a, at the prime of your career and then having to experience like your mentor and then somebody else come in what did that do to you i love it you've been doing your homework girl <laughs> you need well, a badge i mean we i get interviewed a lot hey hey i get interviewed a lot with my real journalists yeah and they're freaking piece of shit they're like they ask the same damn question they don't get and, and, and i love it great question no comparison my mentor was the best i don't know what he saw in me but just from the beginning just from the takeoff i walked into the stable he gave me the name kunishki i don't know if you did your homework on the name i did kunishki. you're the you're the sixth not only that the name kunishki was the first grand champion that came out of takasago bear oh, and um it's funny because it was two names they were looking at was uh, Otakami, which the, they were thinking of taking Takamiyama's name, Takami, but put O on the top, which big says me, big Takami, oh. big high mountain or something like that. And there was Konishiki. So the Konishiki name, when it came to me, I didn't know nothing about sumo. I had no history. I have no knowledge of what the hell I was getting myself in. All I knew is I was getting into a G-string showing my ass off to the world <laughs> but as you said my coach was such a great person not only that i think he knew how to handle a foreigner compared to other people because he handled he had jesse already takami mm -hmm. and before i came he had another guy named waka takami who's from hawaii a senpai to me a senior so um of course he was hard on me he was hardcore on me and he saw something in me early in my career that even though I was a younger guy, he saw how strong or how strong I was. So the regular person would actually practice in the morning and go, but he would actually force me to practice with guys who are more experienced than me at the early goal. Mm -hmm. So like within six months of my career, I was already challenging guys, the top guys in my stable. Well, you had practice. like the fastest rise at the time. Exactly. I still hold a record for coming from ground zero to judo which is the high ranking and it took me eight tournaments and the thing i know about the boss he was hardcore in practice he was like really hard on me like he would the bamboo would freaking hit me in my head my back he was training me to use take advantage of my strength and my body my body size and he knew how strong i was i remember that because he actually knew how to handle who i was and then okami-san his mm -hmm. wife mm -hmm. would like kind of um, help me because I didn't know how to use chopsticks and, you know, they bring out forks for me to use and stuff like that, which is not normal because I'm a young boy and I'm still new. You're supposed to have that special treatment. But my boss was a, was a very kind guy. He had he never, incredible he never... eyebrows. His eyebrows oh, yeah. were incredibly impressive eyebrows. He's, he's, he's from 
down southern Japan from Okinawa area, an island called Tokunoshima. And you guys got to remember, he's a foreigner legally. Is he? Because in, yeah, because Okinawa and those islands where he come from weren't part of Japan. They were part of U.S. until 1975. Okay. All those islands was actually part of uh, the U.S. territory. Mm-hmm. 1975, they we went back, came back to Japan. Mm-hmm. But you guys got to remember, my boss had to be smuggling to Kobe to become a sumo wrestler. Really? Yes. So no, no one knew until late, later. I think he just smuggled him when he was like 12 or 13. Whoa. So later on, they found out where he was originally from. But originally, he had to come in this sneaky means so they can be a, a Japanese sumo wrestler. Oh, my God. That's he, great. That's amazing. And he that's- was a grand champion, so he's very famous. So we have we have a lot of questions that like we've been dying to ask a sumo wrestler things that they never drop talk about it. in the media okay. that we're dying drop to me on. okay drop, drop it. since you brought I'm up ready. dating earlier how in the world yep. do these guys have time to date and how is that working in a sumo stable once once you get into the high rank you got some flexibility because you don't do all the chores anymore you have apprentices which we call skibitos. So it's apprentice and they, they do everything. They clean up, they, they wash you down, they set up your room and everything and stuff. And yeah, we as once you get hired, you, you date, you, you go out more because you get to meet more people because um, to help the stable be afloat, you get to go out and meet people that actually sponsor. And um, you get to go out with all these high-end people and they end up taking you to bars and stuff like that. So you meet. A lot of great people. And then the parties that we do all the time, you know, there's girls all over the place. Right. And they you can't they sneak it, a girl into the stable. There's no privacy privacy in the stables. Not even they in the They can come and visit. Oh, okay. Oh, they could. Yeah, you cannot because there's only one door. Oh, you can <laughs> and then the bosses okay. and then the bosses and the bosses actually can yeah. know who comes in and out of that place all the twenty four seven. Okay, so even so, the upstairs you know, private rooms, there's none of that happening. Not really private rooms because all the doors are not locked anywhere. Oh. And then you can't really do it because everybody's there. Like, there's no way. <laughs> you know. But that's why they all get married. They all get married so young and like run wow. out and live off campus. or that's the, only, that's the only way they can get out is get married and get out. And then they have to get permission. You, yes. You got to get permission to get married. Well, the thing is, the reason for that is, again, um, the financial situation with sumo wrestlers is if you don't get to the high rank, you don't get paid. So you cannot really, really afford to live right. outside of the state ball. Right. So the, your coaches would actually advise you and stuff like that. And then if even if when you leave, a lot of guys hurt with this because, you know, you, I hate to say, but a lot of these guys, they're getting supported by their wives. Because remember, once they get off, they leave outside of the stable. They can't come back. The only rank that you don't lose your pay is your kuzuna. Right. Everything you lose, once you lose a rank, you lose your you lose your pay too. So if, ladies, you got to remember, no salary, no money, right? So a lot of them struggle because of that. They do date. They probably date some, some of the most beautiful ladies in the world, probably. Seems I got like married. It. This is my second marriage, but my first marriage was a beautiful lady that we uh, we, we were married for like nine years and stuff. But yeah, you get to meet a lot of people and, you know, and then, and it's hard to me, it's more a burden for a wife to be a, a sumo wife, unless you're ready to uh, actually follow the traditions and, you know, like bylaws of 
being a sumo wrestler because you got to be at every party and you got to be in kimono. You got to have that walk. You have to have that talk. You have to have that look. As a sumo wrestler's wife, you know, it's so much pressure. My first marriage, I think the pressures that she had to go through, she, she didn't like. I tried to make excuses where she wouldn't go to my bosses or my my kwami-san. Because, you know, I, I felt the pressures that, you know, they feel like they have to go kind of watch where they say and they go there, they just say nothing, just... He's just doing this all through like two hours and a half of a party. Yeah. Oh, that's and, you know, so hard. And, you give a, you give yourself to somebody else's career. Yes. And I, as a woman, yes. I mean, that that's got to be so hard. Your identity is not necessarily even, your own even, and even, you're living even a traditional a, life. Even with a Japanese woman, yeah, at, at the time, it's, 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 it's for them, they can handle it. But, you know, if you do it, if your career is short, then yeah. But if your career is kind of long, man, you gotta do that along long, the way. It's, it's long, long time. It's it, it's hard. It's not made for everybody. I have this idea of what it's like backstage at a sumo tournament. Okay, real quick questions: <laughs> Is there a hot tub anywhere? Yes. Yes, I knew it. Yeah, we got about four or five guys. We can get in. Amazing. Huge. Are there ice? Are there ice baths back there, or just a hot tub? No, just the hot tub. Because we. We only use it during the tournament. We go in there. I can be, I can be honest with you, but the sumo has the shittiest facilities in any professional sport in the world. Any <laughs> professional, no, for real. It's so old school, you know. Like really? it's so old school. It's something that I hope in my lifetime, I'll find a way to change it. I've been trying to change things and slowly because sumo is actually under government. They're like half nonprofit. So the thing is to uh, protect the culture, protect sumo. I think the government got it to, in a place where we're not supposed to make money from it too. Hmm. You know, it's crazy, right? You're killing yourself. You're broken your fingers. You're broken your damn knees. You're bleeding. You're bruising. And But that is something that we realize that we understand. But the prestige and the loyalty that um, the, the community or, or the Japan sees so much is so different. Like you can put a top baseball player or basketball player and but you put a sumo wrestler it, it's a different look you're like part of emperor's family kind of thing the respect we get is so different and i noticed that when we used to do like tv shows on tv with very famous baseball players who are getting millions of dollars with us just getting a few thousand dollars a month but the respect the way they respect us on tv or, or even in the backstage is big big difference you know so I guess that's something that, you know, I'm proud that I was part of, you know, it's a lot of taking in, a lot of accepting. And, you know, so that's the good part of it. Well, and you get awesome gifts. I know that. Like, I imagine with sponsorships and commercials and gifts, like there's a little bit of a bonus. It's all personal, too. It, a lot of these people, they personally come and they're like fans or fan clubs and stuff. For me, I... I I cannot say I, I've had a bad career because I've been supported really well by a lot of people. Um, all my cards I had, all my brand new cards was actually given to me. The first Rolex watch that was given to me that I didn't know what Rolex was. Now, I'm, an, I'm a country kid from Wayne. I don't know shit about freaking <laughs> high-end things. I didn't know what Louis Vuitton was. So people would give me all this stuff. And then my friends who would travel from Hawaii or from the States to come visit me in Japan, they would see the bags in my room and I'd say, they say, wow, you got some nice bags. I go, wow, we like them. You can have it. I never was into high-end stuff. I even gave away a, a Rolex that I had. It's a diver's watch that was given to me. Yeah. And then I just gave it to one of my good friends. I said, you can have it. Yeah, this is, wow, this is Rolex, bro. Who cares? It says <laughs> the same time that we, my G-Struck over here. My G-Struck is $50 and it says the same time. I don't see any difference. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, I'm, I never was into the money side. But the biggest, uh, get one of my biggest Rolex was like a $67,000 Rolex. Japanese culture, to support a submersion for them, it's, it's a good luck charm for them. Mm-hmm. That's why a lot of corporates help individually. Because if you're not helping a submersion, you're not a successful company. Because I learned from them more than anything else. It's not really the gift, but the way they think. And that's helped me post-career, right? Bottom line is, people don't get rich falling asleep. They're fucking working. Always working. You know? <laughs> Well, speaking of your transition then to like your post sumo career, I think we're going to come back to sumo, but you seem to have gone through that transition better than most. How, like, what's the secret sauce to that? How have you done that? Have you succeeded so well post sumo? Well, with a little luck, I, after retirement from sumo, I never decided to, I wanted to stay in the association. I did have a stock. But um, I decided to just to give it back. I thought we just do whatever you can do. And the biggest reason is I wanted to spend time with my mom and my dad mm. because I would have got stuck in the association again. Same thing. 16 years of my career, I only could see my parents like one or two days out of the year. Oh, so you and can't so travel. When, if you have stock, you're not no, free to travel yeah, as you wish. Not only that, you, you become very responsible of the boys you train. Right, right. 24-7, whoever runs the stable, you're responsible for every kid down. So if anything happened, your ass is grass. You're gonna get you're gonna get chopped down so fast that you you wish you wasn't alive. You lose everything you had. So the responsibility of a stable master is it, it's incredible. It, it, it's crucial. But I couldn't see myself going through that while my parents was alive, and I couldn't see myself just always stuck at Japan and never got a chance to go home. So you know, I miss. I miss funerals, I miss birthdays, I miss Christmas, Thanksgiving, all that stuff, the sacrifices I did mm-hmm. during my career. I wasn't ready to do the same post-career. So that's the biggest reason I walked away. But when I walked away, I was surprised to get the attention I had because of the way I retired. First of all, when I retired, I felt like the world was falling on me during my last couple of years that it was talking like, hey, he should retire, this and that. But once I retired, I felt like the whole media were cheering for me now like how can you guys do this to me because they forced retired me without me knowing that i was retiring oh i did not no, know I that didn't. tell us more about well, a lot that. of people don't know that a lot of people no. don't know that that's the thing another, i have so many like, questions about is like the secrecy behind closed doors and this is like an example of like oh well, what because yeah, there's yeah, well, no this, record this, of that it's kind of normal in uh, the sumo association because the boss my stable master has control of that. And before he even could consult me on anything, I didn't find out. My ex-wife called me and she said, are you retired? We just saw this on TV. Was doing a tournament. I go, no way. No way. And then my boys start calling me. Musashimaru called me. Hey, are you okay? I thought, wait, what happened? I just saw your boys take your equipment out of the locker room. What? No, that's not right. And then, you know, then a few other guys called me. And a few other people calling me. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And then I find out the damn boss just went and told him uh, he sees he's retired. It hurt me so much, man. It it hurt me so hard, so deep in my heart that I I I always I always go crazy. And even my my servants, my boys, they're all crying. They said, "Freak them! Just go, just go. Let's just go. Let's." Do. All my boys, like they were like crying. He said, "No, freak them! They cannot do this to you. Just go." But you know, you know, it, it is what it is, and you know, it, 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 I had to just live with it, and you know. I'm glad um, I didn't do anything stupid because it would have been the, the dirty West 
after some one kid who can get really dirty if he wanted to. <laughs> I wanted to cut people's throats. And then I tell you, I was so like depressed. Like, I was like so hurt. Sure. Like I couldn't understand. Like what the hell? And that's dealing with a different culture. You know what I mean? It's, it's their culture. And then I had to think to myself, bruh, imagine this never can happen in the U.S. or other countries. But, you know, who, who I am to try to treat Japan as U.S. is Japan. Japan is Japan. Well, this but, is what's know, so hard is that you should have been a Yokozuna. And so this is kind of like the second slight is that like, we all know the record was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that there had never been a foreign Yokozuna. And here you are, you've presented them all the evidence. And uh, it's just kind of a slap to just say more than a slap. To say that, was, that, was a, that, was, that was a second and more definite hurt. The last one that whole year before I was into like getting like my body was so in pain. I was like, taking cortisone shots almost every two days during tournaments and fought my way through the whole year. I wanted to finish the year. I told Musashi Maru in 1996, I think it was at December, we went out my birthday. I thought, bro, next year is my last year. I'm going to try my best because I want to fight in front of all the people who supported me for the last year. So if I make it to Kyushu, I'll be so freaking grateful that I can make it to Kyushu. I hope I make it to Kyushu, which was the last tournament. I made it, but they cut me short of my two last days. And, you know, and it's so sad because I invited a lot of my friends. My dad was on a plane with that hat. And my dad was like surprised because I wanted him to see my last day of my tournament. Yeah. And now no matter how how good or bad I did in my, my turn, that last tournament, I was going to officially retire. But anyway, dad was on the plane. And then he he told me that the stories walk up to me and say, oh, congratulations, your son had a great career. And he's like, what? Like, but, you know, my dad is so mellow. He's he's such a strong man that he he's always in control. He kind of controlled my emotions when he got back. And he just sent me down, son, you know, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. Just go out there and thank all the people that supported you. You know, you can't do nothing. Don't waste your time trying to fight something that you cannot win, you know? Are you saying that the people in Japan sort of understood what had happened there a little bit better yes. and then started treating you even better with more respect yes. because they could see what had happened yes i think they, they kind of felt something like i got even more popular now because of what i was retiring like every single newspaper every single magazine i was on the tv all the time not me physically but talks about me documentaries they was just going crazy with it and then that's what commercials came in in in, mm-hmm. in life so the funny thing is i had my chumange on and they try to negotiate with me. So this is another part of sumo. It's like people don't understand. So up to like Kyushibasho, okay, I'm done. Retirement, press conference. Following day, I'm not Konishiki anymore. I'm what we call stockholder, which is a Oyakata. Mm-hmm. Right. But your name was Sanoyama? Is Sanoyama. Our... Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw you guys a question. Do you know the difference between the Oyakata? And a rikishi. Well, the Oyakata's coach. Yeah, the rikishi would be wrestler. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, once you become a stockholder, you have a say in everything you do now. You, you, you get where I'm coming from? So you, you yeah, so you have a choice whether you do things or not. You suddenly, exactly. okay, okay. Uh-huh. Because you're part owner of the association now. So there's only 105 of us, okay? Okay. Uh-huh. So they didn't know that I know a lot of shit already. I, I already kind of, did my homework 
So when they did that to me, the last tournament, the following week, I were already Oyakata. You know how fast these guys work? The following week, they called me to the association. They tell me, oh, we want you to do this commercial. We want you to do this. We want you to do that. Then I'm looking at them. I'm like, okay. After they negotiated, seeing stuff like that, I said, I don't want to do it. And they like got so pissed off at me. Really? So they was trying to push the seniority shit on me. Yeah. And then I just turned it right on there. Do I have a choice to say no to things? And that's what a stockholder is. Is go, yeah, that's, you're right. I told them in Japanese, fuck you guys, dude. I ain't doing this shit. <laughs> oh, can I swear on your show? I'm sorry. Yes, you can. Clearly. This is not <laughs> what I, really, I did that. What I really want to know is how to say fuck you in Japanese. Yeah. Can you teach us? <laughs> I will add so, that to this. Is, it's very cold outside. And, uh, my friends also so taught, taught me, uh, suck on my That's nipples, please. That was another one that my Japanese friends taught me. Uh, that, say, and, no, no. Say, or, he can tell, he can tell or you. Or blowjob, please. Was that shakahachi kudasai or something like yes, that? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> the things you learn at Disney, yeah? Eh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably still under a contract with Disney and they're like, oh, don't talk about any of that stuff. Well, uh, anyway, that's how I got into this commercial shit. And then I didn't let them control nothing. I controlled all my commercials. And the thing, the other thing they didn't know in back of my head, I knew I wasn't staying that long. I kept everything on the low until my retirement summa was done. I wanted to finish doing my big ceremony. I did May 30th. That's when I did my ceremony, my hair cutting ceremony and everything. Mm -hmm. So I did all that. And that's where the commercials came in. So I negotiated everything with myself. I told, freak you guys, you can't can negotiate for me. Yeah. If I, I don't negotiate what I'm doing, freak you guys, you guys ain't touching my what I want to do. I'm now a stockholder. I get to do my own things. They were so pissed off at me. I told them, freak you guys. They even bought like, they try to put me in an office with all the top hunters of the freaky guys so what they did they got what they wanted because all the all the commercials i did they became the biggest sponsors for the sumo tours okay but they didn't get me and wow. i got more than what i wanted i think i was the first first ever celebrity sports slash actor whatever yeah you get a million dollar contract per corporate that i deal with yeah they actually met me outside i told them this is what i want for every single commercial percentage of this percentage of that if we don't do it that way, I ain't doing this shit. But they had to do it before forced to do it because they already signed a contract with the association to be a sponsor of the tours. Huh. But they didn't have me. So I see. The, so the, the JSA probably knows obviously where you stand still to this day. But is your involvement in Sumo like they still love you. And you talk to Musashi Maru and like you talk to you talk to your old gang of, of pals and like because you're in Japan. You're are, are you still yes. at tournaments and you're still involved? I've in seen I go, you in the Cup. I've seen you at a variety of places. Ever since I've retired, I never separated myself to the association, no yeah. matter what they knew was going on behind. A lot of them want to say that shit, but they cannot because they belong to the association. I was in the best position because I don't belong to them no more. I got along with everybody. Even right now, I go to every tournament. I talk with the, the CEO, the DG shows, and everybody. They know who I am. I go in. I go in with my T-shirt and my shorts, which is not normal for a person going to association. You can always be suited up and stuff. I'm the only guy they all laugh at because they're all like yelling, hey, here comes Konishki again with his shorts and his T-shirt and his sleeper. <laughs> I tell them, bro, you accept me the way I am. You guys got to wake up. Come on. You guys got to find ways to get better with this shit. But, you know. I never gave up on trying to find ways to help them, you know, yeah. and it's just a matter of 
trying to um, get that uh, wall between the, the association and the government to understand that you guys don't do things a little more different. We're having a hard time. People don't realize, but there's a lot of, there's a lack of sumo wrestlers joining. Mm-hmm. Young kids yeah. not joining no more. It's down to like 600 something. It's yeah. the lowest that they ever had. Yeah. Corona has been um, good in many ways because I did a, lot, did a lot of research and going into like all the social medias and looking at who's who and on sumo. And it's blown my mind. There's so much sumo related social media things out there. Almost like 50 or 60 different countries. And I'm, lately I've been like real puzzled because like shit, you know, if they don't wake up to me, I don't want to do it, but people have been bugging me for the past 20 years to start a new international association but the only problem with that is they don't understand just being big is not what sumo is all about if you cannot be on your feet for five hours and training for at least five hours and doing the splits and all that stuff your body's not made for sumo and at least have that respect to actually work your body into like a sumo wrestler but 20 years ago, when somebody approached me in New York, I told if you give us, give ourselves three years to develop talent, and there's way we can do that. And there's guys who retired who are willing to come out here and actually train people who actually feel and look like sumo wrestlers. Sumo is very humble people. And the respect that people have each, for each other on the ring is what people really love. Mm-hmm. You don't find that in the Western world. And the reason why I say that, because I don't know if you guys know, but I did a sumo tour. Unless I tell you the last show in New York, I was like backstage ready to go up because I was the MC. I put it together, put the show together. I was like ready to cry because I was like, man, I know we have so much followers in sumo and I've been trying to get the association to hire me. You don't have to pay me, just hire me. Just give me the ability to take some of our young sumo wrestlers and take them around the world to actually show people the sumo that we really want people to see, you know? Right. And um, and I haven't stopped yet, but I'm still trying. My goal right now, even though I am away and doing all the extra stuff I do, but my goal, my heart is trying to find a way where internationally sumo can be on a world scale. The sumo itself, you, you got to understand, it's a culture. It's not only a sport. And if you guys treat it like a sport, then it, it, it ain't going to be right. How would you develop that? I mean, would you need to make a stable and be able to train with these kids, you know, long-term? Yeah, well, the thing is, one of the things I've, I've talked with these guys, well, if you guys really got get your money, put your money in your mouth, is let's start a reality store first. And oh. I, I can actually, and there's there's actually stables here in Japan, or it's, it's ex-sumo wrestling stables that is already available, not used. Right. We can huh. rent those places for a year and stuff. If you guys put up the money and we have some TV stations actually come and we actually bring excellence to train these guys, live the sumo life. It's a start. But for me, if we can find, I, I've always told these guys, well, if you, we can do something like that, then it's easier because we can actually do sumo and train people to become top wrestling uh, sumo, sumo tories in our association. We have mm-hmm. to develop talent. It's the main thing. I need to develop young talent who will be growing to the sport and actually follow the traditions. I can have guys grow their hair and make their chomongis the same way, the same thing. If we can train them here and have a show going on and live the life of a sumo wrestler in Japan in a real sumo stable with real ex-sumo wrestlers training them, they have to learn how to cook. And that's the discipline. And the thing is, it's not what you learn during sumo is when you leave. People don't understand 
maybe less than 10% make it in sumo. Mm -hmm. The 90% that leave sumo, I can tell you within the 90%, 80% of them make good lives after sumo because they're disciplined. They shut up and work. They know how to work. They have energy enough after retirement, after 10 years, because they're only 25, most of them, because mm -hmm. you joined at 15. And they're ready to work and they understand culture. Not only that, they know how to respect. So whatever the boss said, they're going to do. And they know how to take orders better than the normal person on the streets. That part of Sumo has taught so much kids. I know a lot of my boys are doing really well. They own their own restaurants. They run their own business. But you got to understand, these kids come from a background at 15. They're joining Sumo. Mm -hmm. And you tell yourself, how the hell can they quit Sumo when you have a business? You have no education. It's not that. If the life experiences they got during the Sumo career has teach them, the people we meet, the things we see, the presidents we meet, it's all these things that we pick up and they take it in. And look after the career they're doing. Look at me. I, I never went to school for business, but I know a, a wrong from a right. And that's the bottom line. And, and you see why people can handle physically, mentally, I can handle. I can fight pain all day if I have to, to get to achieve something. I never thought of never can do, you know. Mm -hmm. I have um, a couple of rapid fire questions. Oh, um, so do I. Should we just do a rapid fire sequence? Yeah, rapid fire. Okay, okay. here we go. Let's do it. Okay. Um, how do you fight differently a guy who's much smaller versus uh, somebody who's your height? I hate small guys. <laughs> Say why. <laughs> Dynamite package because they have so much technique. So now this is where I should school you guys. In sumo, there's like 80 something techniques. Yeah, in sumo, sumo techniques. Yeah. And then most of them is like related to Aikido or Judo trips and all that stuff. A big guy can like me, cannot do 80% of the techniques. 80%? Uh, somebody like, yeah, because I'm more powerful. I'm, I'm, I'm a power guy. It wouldn't it, it wouldn't fit my my way of style of sumo because mm -hmm. I got to have to be as quick, as swift, and everything. Mm -hmm. So they can do majority of all those techniques. So for my, why should I try to kick a leg when I can break a jaw? You know what I mean? <laughs> That's okay. that is our the entire thing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we'll move on. But interesting, <laughs> what we <laughs> what we got is you hate small guys. I love it. You know why I hate small guys? Because I couldn't see them. There's below my knees and my belly was in the way, so I couldn't see them. So I <laughs> I should have I should have at the time just step on them. God damn it. You know, they would laugh at me. That was my joke when I when asking a question about small guys. <laughs> okay. So do you think small guys hate wrestling big guys? It's easier for them, I think, to a point. Ooh. They they know how to um, maneuver because the trick is to take advantage of the big guy's weight, make him lose by his own. So they know how to pressure yourself. They know how to push back to certain points where you you know, wow, wow, wow. Then once you go, wow, wow, then boom, at no time they grab your leg or they trip you and stuff. So like I said, the techniques come in when you can move around even more and quicker. And they do all kicks. They do arm throws and stuff like that. So... I hated that. Actually, you can get hurt from a smaller guy more than getting hurt from a bigger guy. Really? For my, in my case, yes. And then at the same time, if the small guy doesn't doesn't do it right, if he stays in the front of me and does something a, a technique where he tries to trip me from inside, like me right in the front of me, yeah, he can he can get hurt. Which is what happened to my Nomi one time. Mm -hmm. mm. He tried to go and trip me from the inside, and I just squashed him. And then he hurt his knee, and that's and that's was his biggest injury. Oh. Okay, next question. Okay. Um, so when you're backstage during a basho, 
Whoever you're fighting is in another dressing room. Separate with East and West. Right. Yep. So A, what's that like? And B, is there like a wrestler back then that you were like, oh, I fucking hate fighting this guy. Oh, that guy. Not really, because there's no, there's no such thing as I don't want to wrestle a guy, but there's guys that you know that give you a hard time, which is all the smaller guys. The guys used to give me a hard time was like um, this guy named Akinoshima. I used to see him like, we're all in the same side sometimes, right? So like, right. if I wrestle Akinoshima tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, and he's in the same, probably in the same locker room with me, and he, I'll look at him, bro, stop smiling. I know you're smiling because you got me tomorrow, you fricker, <laughs> and you'll laugh at me. So there's a few guys, and and, and not, too, not too many big guys. Most of the small guys, Kotoniski was there at the time. We got uh, like guys like, after that came up was Mainomi, Wakanohana, all these guys. They have so much great technique. My thing was to stop their movement as soon as I can. When I was at my game, I didn't care. Even when they're small, I knocked them out. But as I got older and got more injuries, it was harder for me to maneuver that. But, you know, backstage, nah. And we're doing tournaments. It's like every day is like we travel with each other during the tournaments. We're sitting next to each other doing, doing tours. You seem like friends. Yeah. It's more like respect for each other. Mm. There's guys I don't like, and you can see by the way I wrestle, it's more like a hitting their face more than anything else. In practice, you, I was talking about how intense our training was those days doing tours. Right now, they're like babies, man. They don't, they don't try to kill each other. But during my time during the tours, I kind of knew, and you kind of see who didn't like each other because during practice, we were trying to kill each other during even practice, every single practice. We came, we came hungry like every single day, and that's why I, I did sumo too. I wanted people to be afraid of me. Anytime you see me, I can be nice after the, the ring, but, and that's the way I approach practice all the time. I, di I didn't have a slow day. It's full goal or no goal. I either kill you, you kill me. Come to work ready to get killed, you know, kind of in situation all the time. Here's another question for you then. Uh, is there a difference in the training itself as you're working up to a Basho? Majority of the time, it's the same in a sumo ring. Okay. Yeah. Then uh, you just add a little like weight training and stuff like that, a little to your work ethic. So everybody has different technique. And my training is mostly um, very aggressive, very um, offensive, my, my style. Yeah. I don't have any defense hold. It's mostly all offensive. Because in my mind, if I can do what I do good, nobody can beat me. I don't care what you do. My first step and my second step is most important in my wrestling. If my steps are right, there's no way you can beat me. That's what my mentality was. Every practice was the same. Okay. So take me into like your your brain as a basho began. Were you nervous? Or were you just like, I just cannot wait to get out there and kill somebody in the ring? <laughs> Maybe the first day, you just feel like a little, little tingle in your body. You get good nervous and bad nervous. Bad nervous is when you, somewhere in your body is not all there, like a bad wrist or sore finger or twisted ankle. That's the part that makes you nervous. Like, shit, I, I want to do this, but I don't too sure if I can. The good nervous is like, oh, it's, it's, it's here, man. Motivated, more positive. But approaching the ring, every opponent in my head, if I close my eye, I see how they walk in. I see how they sit down. I see how they pick up the salt. And in my head, I just, there's a, there's a, there's a beat in my head. guys. boom, 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 boom. It's just like, okay. I'm going to take these guys on three beats. Boom, 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 boom. And then it just speeds up. Everything in my head is I picture myself beating my guy before I even wrestle. Really? It's done before we start. I picture them from the time they walk in. After being so experienced, then, you know, and that's one of the things that I had to get used to. Is I've never been in a, 
in an activity or a sport that goes for 15 days, you know, mm. it's long, 15 days. You got to get used to, to it. My first two, three years, I used to like right after the tournament, I couldn't eat, eat or drink anything because I was so exhausted. And I wake up with bleeding nose and bleeding from inside, like from a mouth blood would come out. I guess that's the stress that I went through during a turn that I didn't know about. Wow. At the beginning, it couldn't eat. After your jaw is all fucked up anyway, your neck is sore and your body just so much in pain that um, two days after the tournament, it's like your body just dying, you know. I wake up with all this blood on my pillow. I go, wow, oh, shit. Wow. So is there like a ton of training? That I know that there's some training morning of each basho, everybody warming up and, you know, warming up yeah, with, yeah. with people in the room. But is is there extra training or is it just that there's just so much more oomph behind all the pushes and the shoves? Or is it like the falls off the doyo itself that are creating that much more stress on your body? It's more about the head because you now you got to be focused in and of course we all go to tournaments and knowing that we gotta win you know practice is different you can bang heads you lose you learn some stuff you try some new stuff tournament two weeks is your test day man so the pressure to surviving financially all comes down to every single day during the tournament physically you work your ass off to be ready for the tournament but mentally now it's a real deal and you only have one chance yeah Every day, every day, one chance to beat this guy. So that's the difference. Here's one more question. When you're like at Shikiri's and you're looking at your opponent, that moment, mm. I don't know if you can describe that, but yeah. is that very much just a, a part of the, the bout as well? Or is that a preparation that's something else that's spiritual that like we just can't possibly understand? That's where you win and lose matches. Yeah, You can tell because you... Wrestling consistently, the same guys over and over, if they stay consistent within the Makunuch division. So you can tell by the movement of their bodies or body language, even the way they look at you, they're not that confident. And my thing is I always stare. No matter what I do, I try to keep the same stare. But there's sometimes I stare and the guy does something different. I'm staring, but at the same time, he's making me think. The thing is, you shouldn't think. Like I said, once you get on the ring, it's done already. It's supposed to be like that. So my thing is, when I'm staring into somebody's eye, I want them to run. Meaning that, because of my technique, the way I hit is uh, is very aggressive and forward. If they run, it makes my matches easy because they think I cannot keep up. No matter left where you jump left or you jump right, easier for me. Because what that does to a sumo wrestler, sumo tori, is when you jump to the left, you just make yourself lighter. Oh. Because you're taking your weight off. Mm-hmm. Right. And all I have to do is hit them in the chest and they, they and fly gone. out of the ring. Easy. Yeah. Yes. So that's what I mean by when I stare into these guy's eyes, if you come to me, I'll broke your, I'll broke your neck. If you run from me, then it'd be easier for you. So all I have to do is punch you in the chest and you fall out. Yeah. So that's, it, that's the thing I see. But sometimes there's guys who don't do the things they usually do. They make me think, oh shit, this guy probably trying to think about kicking my leg or trying Henka? to, act, try to hit about the, a Henka? The Henka, the Henka. Yeah, yeah, Henker too, but Henker too. All the Henkers you see through the shady because they do Henker right away. But our our Henker, they always hit you like so fast, so low that you figure that you think that they're coming for you directly. But by the time you, you your eyes is like it's split second, you know, it's like one second, boom, and boom, and you think you got him, but no, he's already on your side already. And that's why it's so important for that touch eye or that look up. You know, when we're staring at each other, you kind of trying to read his mind. But the best thing to do is don't read at all. 
you already know what you got to do. Don't try to change your, your plan when you're staying there. So that's, that's what it is. And it's all body language too. Like they look at you and, you know, I don't want to study that stare down. If you go look back in the history during my early career, the, the referee had to stop us by staring down. And I didn't care because I, they, they thought, well, you don't have respect. They were writing about me. This guy, this young boy don't have respect for the Yokozuna Yoga. And my boss told me, no such thing. Once you're on the ring, it's everybody biodo. Biodo means everybody's same. So I thought, fuck it. I'm same thing, bro. And I stared down every single person, even though I was only 20, 21. I was fighting against some veterans, so you gotta, you gotta, you gotta understand that. Yeah. To them, it's like I'm disrespecting them, but you know, to sumo law is once you're on a ring, no such thing as rank. Mm. All know? I know is you can still watch that video today, and you can feel it through the video. Oh yeah. I watch myself, and I get chicken skin. I watch like some people been like posting stuff, and I look at it like, no wonder they hated me so much. <laughs> <laughs> like there's something electric for it i risk a lot you know yeah and my purpose was to, to you know help my family and if i don't win i cannot help if i don't win i cannot buy my dad a car and if i don't win i can't buy mom and dad their home mm-hmm. if i don't win i don't have a life you know okay so when you become ozeki can you explain the extra stress and the extra pressure once you become ozeki in a way that i could understand well, once you become Ozeki, they call it in sumo terms. Ozeki and Yokozuna is called Kanban Nikshi. Mm-hmm. Now you carry uh, the billboard for the association. And when you represent the association, you're re- representing the nation now. Japan as a nation, not only on the sumo ring, but when you're in public. Now there's more pressure to be best behavior in everything you do now. That's why you guys hear stories about guys that got in trouble and outside the public got kicked out yeah and that's the good thing about sumo it's strict it hurts but it stays honest to what it means to be a, a person that represents sumo i got smarter as i got older every time i see something like i think it's not normal i'll walk out of the club and just go home there's an incident that happened even years later when i was in Ozeki. this guy came into a bar and he was trying to get my attention. I just said, oh, konnichiwa. But, he, you know, you can tell he was like underground mafia, I think. Yakuza, I think. So he was trying to get my attention. And I was just saying hi, being nice. And because I didn't really like pay attention, I was drinking with my boys, right? So yeah. he came and he slammed a bottle, a bo- beer bottle on the table. And he, he kind of sliced my hand. But I didn't do nothing. I sliced my feet. I just I just kept on talking. I, I, I acted like he wasn't there. So that's the pressure I had to live becoming Ozek. And the other pressure is they're always pressuring you to get to Yokozuna, which is something I work hard to get to, but you know, it didn't work out. Let me just say, you are a Yokozuna to us. Yes. What an awesome dude. Mm -hmm. If you are interested in learning about what's coming up next for him, he mentioned he has a book coming out that is bringing together his experiences in the sumo world, along with Japanese culture, his Hawaiian culture, and his family, his father, who's such an important part of his life and and guiding light. He has that coming up. And he also has a documentary coming out that's going to feature him talk about his rise in sumo, as well as it's going to feature other sumo wrestlers from the past like that we know, like Musashi Maru. So it's 
very exciting. Yeah. So if you want to hear more, go to our YouTube channel because I just put this interview in full up as a six part series. It's an hour and a half long. Mm -hmm. And I think here we just gave you, I think, slightly over 40 minutes, something like that. So there's twice as much interview. It's just so golden. We couldn't put it all into one podcast. So if you want to see the man, if you want more of this discussion, please go to our YouTube channel and listen to it in full. Yeah. So I guess that's it. Yeah, that's our brand of sumo today here at Sumo Kaboom. We're going to be watching the Basho just like you. That's right. Keep an eye out for those bingo cards that are coming at you this week, and we will see you next week. Bye. See you later. Bye. Sayonara.